You know, if you're old enough to remember the Cold War, if you're old enough to remember the Berlin Wall coming down, then as you watch these two Korean leaders get together, you might you might be having flashbacks. I know I'm having a little bit of flashback. What about Jeffrey Johnston? He is the international affairs columnist for the Kinswick Standard, Friday regular on this show. And Jeffrey, thanks for the time tonight. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I'm having some flashbacks to 1989. I was a graduate student back then. I just want to quickly off the top say uh, congratulations to my friend Patrick. He got his Canadian citizenship today. I drove up to the nation's capital. He invited me to the uh, ceremony and to share it with his uh, family and in-laws. And so I just want to say, Patrick, congratulations. You're a wonderful addition to the Canadian family. Congratulations to Patrick. I still remember my parents becoming citizens. So it's, it's always wonderful, always a special time. Canada is a wonderful country. We should always remember that. It truly is. And uh, thankfully, we don't have Eastern Canada, Western Canada, but maybe that'll change with the fights that are going on right now. We'll see. But, you know, we've got this, you know, think back to to when we were younger, uh, Jeffrey. We we had East and West Germany. We had uh, the Iron Curtain. We had, um, you know, North and Southern Ireland seemed much more, separate than they are now. North and South Korea seems like the only real holdover. And it's still there, but yet yesterday they were getting together and holding a summit that many of us didn't think would happen. Here's a little bit of what they were saying through translators. As I walked over here, I thought, why did it take so long? Why was it so difficult to get here? We are not uh, a people that, that should be confronting each other, that we are of the same people that should uh, live in unity. We have long waited for this moment to happen, all of us. And then, of course, Donald Trump saying that uh, he is hopeful that they will, uh, the peace talks will be different than previous ones. Oh, I don't think he's playing. No, I don't think he's playing. And, and you know, it's never gone like this. It's never gone this far. I don't think it's ever had this enthusiasm for somebody, for them wanting to make a deal. And, yeah, I agree. The United States has been played beautifully like a fiddle uh, because you had a different kind of a leader. We're not going to be played, okay? So, Jeffrey, where do you come down on this? Um, you know, I, I'm both hopeful and mindful at the same time, is kind of where I'm at. Hopeful that this could be, like the Berlin Wall, mindful that North Korea doesn't have a great track record. Yeah, I'm of the same mind. Um, And it does remind me of 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. Now, But that meant the end of communism. Now, what we saw yesterday with uh, on the news last night with Kim Jong-un, the North Korean communist dictator, crossing over through into the demilitarized zone, uh, and, and, and then crossing into South Korea. Yeah, and then crossing into South Korea. And then there was a moment today um, when uh, they, they shook hands and he briefly pulled the uh, South Korean leader into North Korea playfully. Now, this is highly symbolic. Today they also took soil from uh, North Korea and South Korea and planted, uh, uh, nourished a tree from the, the Korean War era. Now, the, the first significant thing to come out of all of this is that they've agreed to end, uh, officially end the Korean War. The Korean War, which actually was known as the Korean Conflict, was 1950 to 53. And on the one side you had uh, North Korea and China, on the other side you had South Korea, the United States, Canada, UN forces. And that that actually brought Canadian and American forces into direct combat with the Chinese. 
uh, you know, Canadian forces were in life and death battles with the Chinese. So this is really significant. It was a, it was the potential for uh, you know a world war at that point. So it's really significant that they brought this to a close. Because yeah, Chinese, I, I'm a short walk away from a Korean War memorial here in in the nation's capital. Yes. So and and more um, uh, Canadian soldiers died, lost their lives in that conflict than in Afghanistan. Um, it, this was the biggest Canadian military commitment outside of uh, um, the First and Second World War. So it was very significant. So today, this, this declaration of ending the war is very significant because in the past, um, for example, um, uh, the Bill Clinton administration, um, George W. Bush's administration, and the Obama administration offered um, uh, to end the, uh, uh, the conflict between the two and offer them uh, all kinds of incentives if, if they would give up their nuclear weapons, and North Korea always refused. So the fact that they've taken this first step is significant. But the next big step, Brian, is the question of nuclear weapons. And uh, will they actually dismantle their nuclear weapons and forego the use of nuclear weapons? Now, last week, as we talked about, they, they, have, they have decided to dismantle, North Koreans have decided to dismantle their nuclear test site. Now, this is flashy, but it's not really significant because they've already tested uh, atomic weapons. They've tested a hydrogen weapon, which is even more powerful than a, 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 a standard atomic weapon. They've also tested... Um, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. So they, they've already demonstrated uh, to the world that they possess these weapons. They, they, are they possess the technology, but also their test site, according to Sky News, The Guardian, Time, other media outlets are saying, you know, and, and, and this is all tough to verify because of the, the nature of North Korea, that their test site may have collapsed in on itself. Yeah, it probably did. There were several earthquakes um, after their uh, nuclear tests, and they were conducting subterranean tests. But the fact is they already have this technology now, and they don't actually need to test these weapons anymore. Um, and also, um, even during uh, uh, the Bush years, when uh, they supposedly had a deal, the Americans had a deal with the North Koreans, the North Koreans were actually secretly in a laboratory um, secretly enriching uh, uranium and, and making a nuclear weapon. So you don't necessarily have to test these weapons to, to make sure that, you know, you, you've got the technology. They can do it in a laboratory, but they already have the, the weapons now. Now, I think what Kim Jong-un might be doing here is taking a page out of um, former U.S. President Richard Nixon's playbook. Now, back in the Cold War, as you remember, Brian, Nixon had this policy called um, triangulation. So, uh, the United States was facing off against two communist powers, China and the USSR, the Soviet Union. And so what he did was Nixon tried to engage both and play them off against each other. Um, and I think what Kim Jong-un is doing now is doing his own version of triangulation, but it's a, even a little more uh, sophisticated. So now he's playing off uh, South Korea against China and against USA. Because, you know, uh, China is the uh, the big... Uh, 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 benefactor of uh, North Korea. Uh, North Korea gets a lot of its trade from uh, China, its energy, its food. But uh, they don't control North Korea because North Korea uh, you know, has gone ahead and, and developed nuclear weapons against Beijing's advice. And Beijing doesn't want them having nuclear weapons. But they're afraid if the North Korean regime collapses, it will cause a major refugee crisis, causing um, millions of North Koreans to flood into China causing uh, instability, and the Chinese do not want any instability. The Chinese regime, the communist regime, it's all about stability. Because oh, but, to... 
let let me ask you about this as well, though. Uh, what do you think of the theory that the Chinese are exerting pressure on North Korea because of the trade war with Donald Trump? And they figure, okay, we give Trump and the Americans something. They back off. No, I don't think that's true at all. I don't. I don't think uh, Kim Jong Un recently traveled to China by uh, a heavily armored train because he never flies and his father never flew. And uh, by all accounts, it was a, a very frosty meeting between Kim Jong Un and uh, President uh, Xi, the, the, the Chinese leader. Um, he, he basically, you know, said, "I'm going to, from what all accounts, I'm basically going to do whatever I want to do." Um, there's really not a lot the Chinese can do to pressure them at this point because, as they say, they they don't want instability in North Korea because the worst thing for them is for it to collapse. So I think what he's going to do, uh, Kim Jong-un is going to do, is try to extract major concessions out of South Korea, the United States, and even China. So I think um, we have to be, you know, as you and I have said uh, back in the, the Reagan days, uh, Reagan's model was always trust but verify, trust but verify. And We've got to assume that Kim Jong-un is going to, at some point, try to cheat on all of this because he uh, derives his power from having these nuclear weapons. And we cannot assume that he is going to abide by these deals because the, uh, that regime, he and his father, have never, ever abided by, their, uh, by, these, by these deals. Now, I think the best-case scenario for peace, Brian, would be um, slowly moving towards reunification, peaceful reunification of North and South. Now, as we saw back in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down, um, communism collapsed. Um, West Germany, which was the, the democratic, uh, prosperous, uh, capitalist side, um, eventually... The side uh, with uh, Levi's. Yeah. Uh, uh, they wanted that, Levi's and rock and roll. And, and Crown Royal. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. And, and so what happened was um, the, the people in the East um, wanted a better life. And so uh, lots of investment dollars, once they, they were reunified, flew, uh, flowed into East Germany and, and things got better. And Germany became uh, even more stable and a, in a, and a bigger economic powerhouse. Now, if on the Korean Peninsula, if they did reunite and they were democratic, now there would be, you know, uh, this. South would have to invest heavily in the North because, you know, as you've said on the show, they're malnourished up there. They're actually much smaller because they don't have any food. They don't have any infrastructure. So it would be major um, investments. But over a few um, decades, it could become a powerhouse if it were democratic. And we it, would be much safer if it were democratic. It, it really could. And, and, and trust me, it only takes a generation of eating vegetables and fresh food uh, to grow to six foot two. I, I'm living proof. There you go. You know, go, you know, go see my family over there. They're a bunch of short munchkins. Uh, <laughs> and that's because they don't have – well, they, they do now, but they didn't before. Uh, so in terms of, you know, odds, I don't know how to put this. I mean, w do you want to bet on North Korea reneging on a deal? Uh, how do you do this? Uh, what are the chances that North Korea follows through versus – you know, does what they've done back to the t days of Jimmy Carter, never mind Reagan or Bush the first, Clinton, Bush the second, Obama. I mean, these guys have a long history of being dodgy. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. We should avoid the big um, symbolic deal. We shouldn't expect President Trump to uh, 
walk away with a, a deal uh, in May or June that settles all of this. I think we should, he, he definitely has to go forward with that meeting. Uh, and by the way, I think the Trump administration has been a catalyst in all of this. Um, I think the fact that the Trump administration who did talk tough um, scared the North Koreans and realized that this was in, indeed a different kind of leader who which was is not willing where, to pull. Which is not where you were trigger. at the time. That's not where you were at the time, right? No. No, but this, I mean, in, in, the, in the fullness of time, I, I think the, the threat of military action has crystallized the minds uh, of the North Korean regime, and they realize that they actually have to take some bold steps. But I think what they need to do is take a whole bunch of smaller steps. And I think, um, so th- there should be a whole bunch of confidence-building measures. So one thing they need to do is uh, set up some sort of framework for um, inspections. There have to be inspections. If any sort of nuclear deal is worked out, there have to be unfettered inspections of all nuclear sites and suspected nuclear sites. Um, The international community is going to have to be uh, involved in this. There are going to have to be uh, protocols for dismantling these weapons and disposing of them. There are also going to have to be security guarantees for North Korea. There are also going to have to be probably some agricultural packs and, and additional uh, humanitarian um, measures and even economic investment. But there are going to have to be a whole bunch of little things. But in, in the end, it's got to be, as Ronald Reagan said and you and I have said, trust but verify. Trust hey. but verify. Because this regime cheats all the time. That's how I treat every political operative I talk to. And that's on a small scale. <laughs> But in the, in the end, Brian, I think um, that the, the, the best scenario is reunification under a democratic regime, and I think that would make uh, the world safer. I, I think so, and it would free – what's the population of North Korea? It would free millions of people that uh, have not known what freedom is like. And, uh, you know, by the way, um, some are saying that there shouldn't be any talk of human rights um, in these negotiations. I think in the beginning we should um, stay off the human rights, but um, down the line that is going to have to be part of it because the the persecution there is terrible. As we've talked about this with Christians, they're sent to to labor camps. They're they're killed. Whereas in South Korea, a huge percentage of the population, Presbyterian, huge. Uh, by the way, population of North Korea, 25.37 million. Almost as big as Canada. South Korea, 51.25 million. Yeah, if, if those those numbers are actually accurate, because it's a, it's a closed state, so we don't know for sure. Yeah, but, you know, it gives you an idea that it's, it's half the size of South Korea, roughly. And, um, you know, it, it, a significant population. We're not talking a million or two people. We're talking tens of millions here that no, have what... never known freedom. Yeah, that's right. And that's why the Chinese are concerned, too, because they don't want 10 million people streaming across the border. They don't want that because that would create havoc. And China is a, a, a communist country that's, that's built on dictatorial, totalitarian control. And if you had 10 million people flooding in there, it would, it would definitely upset the, uh, the apple cart and create political unrest in China as well. So they don't want that. So the Chinese are sort of nervous about all this. I don't mind the Chinese being nervous. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey? Well, it's not a bad thing. Good talking to you as always. Thank you, Brian. Jeffrey Johnson, international affairs columnist for the Kingston Week Standard. You can read his latest piece on the Rohingya and how women and children suffer the most. It's uh, posted on my Facebook page. You can find it there. Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly.